You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. So we've been on this journey to God for, as you could tell by the map, quite a while uh, and made a lot of stops along the way. Next week, uh, or actually, sorry, this uh, Thursday night for Christmas Eve service is actually going to be our last stop on the journey. And it wraps up with blessings, which is an appropriate end to the journey uh, as we kind of... uh, uh, arrive at Jerusalem to worship and on and honor and be blessed by God and offer God our blessings. And it's going to be a fun way to do Christmas Eve service. This week, we're making a stop on the journey that's called community. And we're going to dig in and talk a little bit more about what community is and what does it mean to be a part of a, a Christian community. And when we think about that, particularly myself being a pastor and having been in ministry a long time, when I talk to people about Christian community and church, a lot of times... I hear a lot of uh, stories, and a lot of you have heard similar things, where we talk to people about their faith, or where are they at with the Lord, and inevitably people talk to me about church, and then when I ask them about what church are they at, or where are they plugged into, or how are they engaged in community, you get a lot of stories where it's like, there's this weird stuff that happens really commonly, where people really like God, but they don't like church. And people say that they love God even, and they say the right things and probably have a lot of times good fruit growing on the tree, but they just say that they don't like church. And one of the things that you hear from a lot of people a lot of times is, um, I really like God. I got no problem with God or, you know, whatever their take is on that. But what they'll say is that I just don't do organized religion. I don't like organized religion. Have you guys ever heard that before? People say, I don't like organized religion. And, and, and one of the things that, is kind of challenging is in those times as a pastor is to bite my tongue a lot and to kind of try and meet people where they're at and walk along through this journey with them. What what they don't understand is that the minute you confess your sins and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are simultaneously joining the church. There. There are two inseparable things happening at the same time. The minute you become a Christian and Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you become a member of church. They're one and the same. You can no more say that you're a Christian, but you don't want to be in the church, than you can say that you're a person that doesn't have parents. It it just is not possible. Right? So one of the challenges that we've got as Christians, is talking to people about community and talking to people about church and what does it mean to be a part of a church. You hear people say, I really love God, but I hate the church. And it's so hard to go, yeah, but you are the church, right? Like, do you realize, I don't think you realize really what you're saying. In the Bible, the New Testament writers use a word when they talk about church. It's a Greek word. It's, it's called ecclesia. Um, try that one out. Ecclesia. ecclesia. Nice. You guys got a lot of enthusiasm right here. I like this. I like this. Um, and so that word is a compound word. It's made up of two different parts that essentially get glued together to, um, to describe something, to be called out. And so for the Bible writers to use a word to describe church that the word means to be called out, 
it starts to help us have a picture in our mind of what maybe the authors of the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, had in mind when they talked about a community of faith, of Christians, the church. That is a group of people that are called out. They're called out of sin. They're called out of a life without hope. They're called out of a life of pride, thinking that they can do it all on their own, like they don't need anybody else. They're called out of that, but they're called to something. God's not just calling us out of those things. He's calling us to something for a purpose. We are to be the church. Gathered together in community. Like that is what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to be in God's family. To be in God's family is to be the church. All of these things are like saying the same thing different ways. You see... There are no only kids in Christianity. There's no such thing as an only child Christian. Exactly. I amend myself on that one. So here's the thing. The fact that we are a family doesn't necessarily mean that just because we're a family of Christians that all of a sudden we get along really awesome and that everybody plays well together, right? I don't know if you guys know this, but when people become a Christian, they don't automatically stop sinning. They don't just automatically figure out how to live selflessly and sacrificially and look out for the needs and welfare of others and have patience and bite their tongue and have self-control. Like some people have certain fruit growing on the tree and other people, uh, that fruit won't grow for a while, right? I know in our church, we get along amazing, right? But I've heard some stories out there of those other places, right? The reality is we don't all just figure it out. We don't all automatically have awesome people skills. We don't all automatically have empathy and kindness for each other. It, it, we, we work through it. We wrestle through it. But it doesn't change the fact that if God is our father, when we become a Christian, we're in a family and we have brothers and sisters in Christ. That's community. So you guys have heard the saying that if you ask a bad question, you get a bad answer. You ask the wrong question, you get a wrong answer, that kind of thing. So you need to, you need to learn to ask good questions if you're looking for good answers. For Christians, what I hear a lot of people a lot of times ask is the wrong question. They, they, they start with the wrong question. They'll say, I'm a Christian, and I'm trying to decide if I want to be a part of a church. I'm trying to decide if I want to go to church. Wrong question. You already joined. The right question for every Christian, every person that puts their faith in Christ, the right question is, now that I'm a part of a community of faith, now that I'm a part of a bigger family, how do I live in it? What's my part? How do I fit in? Right? Those are the things that we need to talk about. And, and living in this community of faith, when we're a bunch of kids that belong to the Lord, right? A lot like our own families that we raise. God's kids sort of respond differently in different ways 
to the idea of church and community, just like our kids kind of respond differently to being connected in our own families. When it comes to church, a lot of times as people commit their life to Christ, they respond differently to whether or not they want to connect and plug in and be a part of church. Sometimes they just bail out and they want to avoid church at all costs. They don't want anything to do with it. They'll run from church. Other times they grow up in it and it's part of their DNA of their life, but then they leave and they go somewhere else. And the only time they come back to church is for special occasions or if there's like a a cool event or there's going to be food, right? You know who you are. And then there's the people that would never dream of leaving. They wouldn't dream of leaving. They would never leave church. But the way they talk and the way they criticize and the way they gossip and the way they backbite and treat other people leaves the rest of the family wishing they would leave the church. And then there's people that really dig in. There's people that really dig in and they want to know, like, since God's placed me in this community, this family of believers, how do I fit? What is my part? How do I figure out how to live in this family and benefit this family and grow from the relationships in this family? What does that look like? Enter Psalm 133. Psalm 133 is a psalm that is giving us a picture of Christian community. When people of faith are doing it right. This is a psalm that tries to put into words and paint pictures with a, with a, a song and a story like a song can do to try to paint a picture for us of what it could be like when people of faith are doing it right. And so I want to read it for you, and then let's kind of spend some time unpacking it a little bit, all right? So it's in your notes, and it's going to be up on the screen. Psalm 133 goes like this. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For where the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. So this is a psalm of David, and not all the psalms are written by David. Many are. This one in particular is. And David is a guy who has had an extravagant life with much experience. From the time he was a young boy until late into his age. Like This is a guy that's seen it all, been there, done that, had a wealth of experiences. And if you're a song, excuse me, if you're a songwriter... Having a lot of life experience is sort of a huge asset. Um, in my house, uh, my son Noah loves music, and he writes music all the time, and he's got all kinds of journals full of music, and it's fun to watch the creative process where he'll start something and throw it away and start something and throw it away. He'll show me the beginning of a song, and then I'll go ask him later. The beginning was really cool. Did you ever finish that? No, it never made it past the first you know, part or whatever. And there's this process, and you draw on life experience oftentimes. And so I get a good insight into what's going on in his life because whatever song he's writing, right? Like it helps me see. And David's the same. He's got this huge array of life experiences to draw from. And so here we get this window into really kind of the heart of David as he writes this song. Here's a guy who has, has seen what it's like when God's people don't get along. He has seen it over and over and over 
what it's like when God's people are infighting and bickering and against each other and are at odds with each other, when the leadership of God's people is jealous and, and, and just constantly fighting and at war with each other. He has seen the worst of it, but he's also seen the best of it. When God's people are getting along, when things are going right and people are living together in unity, and, and it's that thing... That, that memory, those exposures to those things when God's people have been doing it right that inspires this song. And so he sits down to write a song like, it's so good, he writes at the beginning of this song. It's so good when God's people get along and they live together in unity. It's like, and he goes to think about analogies. So this is where the fun part for me gets in because as I was sitting down and kind of prepping for this and studying, it, it just got me thinking about like, Imagine David sitting down to write a song. You get to a spot where you're trying to connect the dots for the people that are going to hear your song. You're trying to say, there's something that's really good, and, and it's going to be as good as, and now you go to your memory bank, because you're trying to pull something out of your memory bank to help people know how good it is when God's people get along. And so I imagine David going to his memory bank and he's trying to sit down there at his table with his favorite writing utensil, his moleskin journal. He's got everything laid out like he's ready to write his songs, right? And he's pinning different lines. And he's like, man, it's so good when God's people get along. It's like that time when I killed a bear with my bare hands. Maybe not the best line in a song. All right, we'll scratch that one, right? So he goes to the next one. Oh, I got it, I got it. It's so good when God's people get along. It, it, it's, it's like that time when I killed Goliath. Yeah. I don't know if everybody can relate to that. Scratch that. That was kind of a one-off. All right. Oh, 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 I got it. It's so good when God's people get along. It's like the time when I was in a cave and I could have killed Saul, but I didn't. I don't know if that's a real singer. Wads it up, right? He's like, oh, I got to think of something. I got to think of something that, that is something that is more relatable to a larger audience, to all of our people, that when they think of this instance, it's going to bring to mind memories that are cherished and good and warm feelings because I need people to understand. That they've got to, I want our people to sing about how good it is when we get along. And he goes, oh, I know a time. I know a time in our history when God did something so amazing, he drew all of our people together. He drew us together in one place at one time, and he made a way that he could come and be with us. And then he did something amazing by anointing Aaron with oil. And that oil represented God's presence with and, and on Aaron as a priest. And through that, there was a provision so that all of God's people could have their sins forgiven. He's like, I know when our people look back on that story and those events, all of our people look on that and it brings a smile to their face. It brings a, a, a sense of, of a, a loving God, a, a caring God. Like it, it brings warm feelings as a memory. Like that's a thing that I've got to weave into this song. And so all of a sudden he uses some of the events, the, the key parts of that event that are really symbolic. And he says, it's so good when God's people get along. It's like when Moses anointed Aaron with oil and it ran down his head and down his beard. And it, it meant that God was with us and God was with him. And God was for us and God would forgive us. 
it's good when God's people get along. And, and then like a lot of people do, whether you're a songwriter or a preacher or a communicator, you try to think of different analogies to connect with different people with different backgrounds and different experiences, right? Uh, I'm doing building over the years. Like I could use a lot of construction analogies and builder analogies, but for people that don't build, they don't make a lot of sense. And so he uses another analogy. It's like, I, you know, I just, again, this is just me totally speculating for fun. Like, I just imagine David going like, hey, if I stop here, this is a short song. We need another verse, right? And so he starts to go through another verse. And it's like, he, I imagine David, like, racking his brain, like, I need something else that might hit people in a different way. I need to help them understand how good it is when God's people get along. And I imagine David like rolling the memory bank back, like all the way back to when he was a young boy. Think about David when he was a young boy as a shepherd, watching over sheep on the Judean hillside. It's hot, it's dry. If you've ever been down here to the Snake River, down to Lewiston and up and around the canyon, it, it's dry grass most of the year. It's really hot. It's arid. It's not super humid. And, and if you want to imagine Israel, think about the Snake River Canyon, add a thousand percent more rocks and less anything growing, and you've been to Israel. It's, that's about what it looks like, right? Pretty close. Lots and lots of rocks and very hot. And if you're a shepherd looking out for sheep, genuinely caring for the sheep in a hot, dry place, there's going to be something that sticks out to you. And I, I just imagine that like this pops in, in David's head, like this is a memory that it, it, we, we get this insight that this is a thing for David that lodged in his memories as a really good thing. Because there's those times when he had to be uh, remembering those mornings when he would wake up in the Judean countryside. He would wake up, his eyes would just peel open at the very first sign of light. He wakes up and he looks out and he sees something magnificent. He sees something that's, that's rare. It doesn't happen a lot. And he looks out across the, the dry grass and all of a sudden there's this glistening, shining of water sparkling all over the ground this thick, heavy morning dew in this dry and arid country. If you've ever been camping or hiking or gone up and spent time in the woods, particularly here in the Northwest, what happens is it's, uh, a lot of us are familiar with this, it's dry at night when you go to bed and when you wake up in the morning, you were in a rainstorm, even though it didn't rain, right? Like the inside of your tent drips on you and all your stuff's wet. And if you're camping, it's not so glorious in the morning. But if you're a shepherd looking out for sheep in a dry countryside and you wake up in the morning and everything is covered in a blanket of water, it's a pretty glorious thing. And so here we've got this window into David's kind of memory banks. And if you're thinking about David and all the things he could have thought of to talk about how good something is, these are the stories that came to mind. He's like, this is how good it is when God's people get along. This is what it's like when we're doing it right. So here's the thing. One of the challenges that we face in the world that we live in is uh, we live in uh, a Western culture. And it's very different than the ancient culture, uh, uh, the ancient yeah, that, that also, but that was not the word I was looking for. 
Eastern culture that the Bible takes place in. And so the culture that the Bible takes place in, people naturally think of themselves as a part of their, um, their full um, family. So the Jews, for example, think of themselves as a part of all Jews. When they say, hey, when we came across the Red Sea, they talk about it like they were there yesterday. They talk about all the events in the history of their faith as if they were them together. Even though they could have been a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago, they talk about it like we are we. It's different than the way we talk in a Western culture in America. And in our culture, we really value individualism, independence. And if for us, if we say we or us, we probably mean the person in the car next to us. We might mean our family, like we are going to go do this, like, you know, your family is going to go. Like, you don't talk about we. Like, rarely, I, I could say it's probably almost never, would you ever hear somebody say, we Washingtonians, we always do this, or we used to do that, or like, and speak on behalf of all of the people. And in fact, in the world that we live in, and the culture we're in, if you did that, people would probably take offense. Like, you can't speak for me, Right? You can't tell me what I was or what I did or how I, th- like, we're, I'm different than you. Like, we value individualism and independence. And I share that little nugget and insight because I, I want you to understand that we live in a world that influences the way we think. We live in a world that influences the way we behave and the way we act. And the, the influences of the Western world are at odds with the way God wants us to think when it comes to being a family of faith to being a part of a larger community of Christians. The culture we live in says be independent, be an individual, and the, the, the message of the Bible is you're a part of a family. And it's way bigger than the one you thought you had. It's always been this way. Jesus worked with 12 disciples. He lived with them and served with them, and they were in community. The, the New Testament church was formed when 120 people together in one place, right? It, early on, when some Christians were starting to um, avoid church, avoid gathering together and getting together, uh, one pastor wrote to him in Hebrews and said, uh, in Hebrews 10.25, said, don't forsake getting together. This is not something you want to miss out on. Like, this is really important. You have to stay together. And, and, and encouraged them to not miss out on fellowship and community and gathering together with other believers. And all throughout the Bible, every picture we get, there's nothing about our faith that paints it as a solo religion. It was never meant to be done on your own, apart from others, right? Christianity is meant to be done in community. And when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He famously answered, as we know in Matthew 22, he says that the, the, the greatest commandment, and there's all sorts of reasons behind why he was asked that and what they were getting at, and they were trying to figure out his yoke and all that stuff, and we're not going to unpack all that, but it, what he was getting at, he, he says, Here's what you need to know. The, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then... Here's what's cool. If he stops there, if he just stops there, 
all of a sudden, people can take that and run with it, and it's a, it's a solo religion all of a sudden. Can I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and strength in a cabin in the woods by myself? Absolutely. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but there are a lot of people that don't like other people. I don't know if you've ever heard people say, like, it'd be great if it weren't for the people, right? Like, my life would be awesome if I could work by myself. Like, I love my job. I just hate everybody else that's there, right? I, I love teaching kids, but I hate the parents. I love coaching if it weren't for the parents. I love, right? Like, there's all these things of, like, there's people say all of these little things. They're cliche little things to say, but they're like a tell in a poker game. It gives you insight into what they really believe. Like, at our root, a lot of people don't like other people. It's some weird tendency about us. It goes back to our pride and our desire to be independent and prove ourselves and, and not need anybody else, right? Like there's something about that that just keeps trying to stir itself up and, and root its ugly head out. And if Jesus stops at love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if he camps there and stops there, people can grab a hold of that and go make it, I can do this on my own faith. But he does something really awesome. Immediately, he says, the greatest one is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And a second one is like it. And then, bam, he glues another commandment right to it. And he says, this next one is just as important. It's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all of a sudden, anybody that had their idea that this could be a solo religion, that you didn't need community, you didn't need to do it in relationship with other people, that you weren't a part of a bigger family, all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. How do I love God and love other people if I don't like other people and I wanted to really do it by myself? It's like, well, you could try, but it's not Christianity. It's something different. Because the picture that Jesus paints is this ultimate picture of what Christian community looks like. In these, the way that Jesus answers that question, he gives us this picture of what, what ultimate Christian community looks like, like, like this ideal version. What does it really look like? We get this idea that, that it, it looks like a sacrificial God Who's, who's being loved by his family, who are in turn loving and serving and sacrificing for each other day by day. Like, this is ideal Christianity. This is what led David, inspired him to write a psalm that the first line starts off with, how good is it when God's people get along together in unity? It's so good, right? Say so good. Oh, that's good. Everybody say it with a little stank on it. Try it. Come on. So good. Great. Did you say it? So embarrassing. It's okay. We're friends. I won't make you say it. I'll just keep talking to you so you get embarrassed. All right. Hey, I want to wrap up with a few questions. They're in your notes. So grab your notes and let's look at them together. And you guys all know we want you to be in 
uh, relationship outside of Sunday morning, all right? We want you to be plugged in, connected with other people outside of this. This is awesome, and it has such a huge part of who we are as Christians. We gather together. We get reminded that there's other people like us. We get to worship together as a family. We see that other people serve and worship God. We get to learn and grow together, and then we walk out of here, and we get into smaller groups with people that we get to actually like dialogue with, hash it out dig into God's word, wrestle with it, talk about it. And these questions are designed to help you kind of keep hashing it out. So the first one's this, David used anointing oil and do, uh, what analogy would you use to describe how good it is when God's people are living in unity and getting along? So I want you guys to think about when you go to your database, right, your memory banks, and you think about stuff that hits your memories as like really, really good. Like it gave you all the warm, fuzzy feels. Like it was good. So your song, it might go, it's so good when God's people get along. It's like, I don't know, when I got my first pony. I don't know. I was saying first service, one of the things that I remembered is Kaylee and I were talking and I was telling family stories and, and I had forgotten all about this. I just, one of those things that was way back in the memory banks, my grandma used to work as a school cook and she would, her kind of her signature famous thing is she would make cookies, homemade cookies from scratch. But she did these things that were called monster cookies that were like the size of a dinner plate. And when I would go to visit my grandma and grandpa, she would make me monster cookies. When you're in third grade and your grandma gives you a hot cookie that's the size of a dinner plate, oh, hallelujah, right? Is there anything better? My song goes, it's so good when God's people get along. It's as good as one of grandma's warm monster cookies, right? doesn't make a lot of sense to anybody else, but you get the point. What's your stuff, right? So I want you guys to think of that. Next one is this. Uh, what would your family tree look like if you filled in all the Christians you've ever known, followed by all of them that they ever knew, and you keep just filling it in? What would it look like to start adding some branches to the tree and start penciling in, like, this is, here's my biological family, but when I became a Christian, I was grafted into a larger family. And there's a whole bunch more branches on there. What if you started filling those in and helping you have that kind of perspective? Next one is this, is um, list 10 attributes of uh, an ideal Christian community. So I, I really want you guys to wrestle with this and do it. See if you can come up with 10. I want you to think, can you come up with 10 things that would be characteristics or attributes of an ideal Christian community? So like you might think of it this way, what would the perfect church look like? What are 10 things that would, you would say would describe an awesome, doing it right Christian church? What would be on your list? And then I want you guys to get together and share your lists with each other. You just kind of learn from each other. What do you think would be in there? And then the last thing on there is kind of your action part, your personal ownership part. A, a lot of times in our home groups, we have this gu uh, rule or guideline that says that um, you have to use I statements when you talk and when you share. You don't get to say, the church, I think the church would be better if it did this, or they should this, right? It's easy to talk about that anonymous, fictitious, imaginary thing, the church, but you don't really have any skin in the game. 
right? It's like complaining about politicians or something. I don't know. It's just, it's just some out there thing, right? I want you to just get into this and go, what is your part in helping us, real life, in helping us be that kind of ideal church that you guys have talked about? Like that church that's awesome, that's firing on all cylinders, that's doing it right. Like when you look at it, look it over and you think about it, like what's your part in it? How would you take ownership? And then I want you to actually say that out loud with your friends. Say my part and then share. And then someone else will say the thing back to you. And we start to dialogue and focus on awesome things. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but what you aim for, you normally hit. And I want to get our groups and our, our devotional time aiming at being an awesome Christian community on purpose. And then let's get out there and hit it. All right, we're going to finish with communion. And then right after communion, we're going to do baptisms this morning, which is awesome. There is no better way to finish church than with baptism. So this is your cue to uh, grab your apocalypse-proof because these things are guaranteed to last 472 years, I think. I don't know. As a church, we take communion every week, and we do that because it helps us remember what was accomplished for us on the cross. It helps us remember what is available to us because of what Jesus did. The fact that we can sit here and talk about being a part of a larger family, that we have Christian community, that we are uh, grafted in and have brothers and sisters in this bigger family, that the fact that we can have God as a father, all of that is available because Jesus made a way for our sins to be forgiven and to be right in a right relationship with God, square with him and with each other. And so I don't ever want to miss the fact that that, that is what accomplishes our ability to be family is because of what Jesus did for us. And so that's what we remember this morning. We remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread represents his body, which is broken for us. So let's remember the body of Christ as we take the bread. In the same way, he took the cup. He said, this cup represents a new covenant. It's a covenant that was sealed with the blood of Christ. And so as we take the cup, we remember the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Man, Lord, we love you. You are awesome, and we just thank you so much. God, help us to keep growing and stretching and becoming more and more like the family you want us to be. God, help us be the kind of family that is always on the lookout to adopt new people, to give people a home and a place and community, to help people shed off those there was a story about church stuff and the, they don't like organized religion and God let their experience in this family leave those memories in the past. Help them, help them come and, and see what it can be like to be a part of a family that loves each other well, that uh, sacrifices and serves each other. Just pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.